Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today we have on Letha. Guys, ah, this conversation was amazing. We talk about authenticity, self-compassion, intuition, how to heal, how to be kind to yourself, what the reality of life looks like before these actions and after these actions. And it just, the whole thing, it was just phenomenal. And I cannot wait for you all to listen to this. And although I quite often tell you to sit back and grab a snack, maybe some popcorn, today I'm going to tell you, sit back, probably grab a notepad, a pen, some paper, and then, yeah, also totally a snack. doing today i'm doing great how are you <laughs> i'm so tired <laughs> and it's gonna be good I, I i'm tired too but i feel good <laughs> it's gonna be a good day good things so i am i am so excited to have you here i um sonia cox introduced us and guys i have two episodes with sonia and you should listen to both of them because they are beautiful and brilliant and super inspiring um and so I reached out to her and I was like, you know, a lot of amazing people. Like, do you have anyone that I should talk to? And of course, she immediately was like, Letha, you have to talk to my friend Letha. She's amazing. So I started following you on Instagram and your posts were just phenomenal. I immediately connected to everything that you were sharing. Um, I feel like so you you really do a lot of self-empowerment. Um, we're going to read your bio here in just one second. But also there's some spirituality mixed in there. And sometimes I have trouble with certain spirituality posts because I feel like there's such an inherent amount of shame wrapped into them. And like this, just the shaming of this, you're not who, where you should be. Right. And I don't, I didn't see that in yours at all. I just saw empowerment and, and strength, but like you also didn't pull punches. Like you just said it how it was. And I just, yes, immediately was like all of the, let me read everything that she's ever done. This is amazing. So yeah, when you agreed to come on, I was over the moon. So happy you're here. We're going to read your bio and then we're just going to get going because you have things to say and I want to hear all of it. All right. So Letha has founded Essentially Awake, which is a community where people learn to access their intuition, power, and step into their authenticity to change their lives and the world around them. Letha is also a coach, public speaker, and educator who believes in radical self-acceptance, decolonizing everything, and the human capacity to heal deeply. I'm so excited. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, um, I want to start with just like two inches of your backstory, like 
your culture just a little bit, where you're coming from. And the reason for everyone listening, who's like, wait, what? The reason we're only doing two inches is because we're going to have a whole nother episode where Letha and I get completely into her story, how she grew up, her marriage, all the things. Um, It's going to be phenomenal. But to understand some of the things we're going to talk about today, I want her to just bring us in with just a little bit as a teaser. And then we're going to go. Well, I want to just say that I feel so seen because when you said, I pull no punches, but my work isn't about shame, that I feel so seen because that's the core of it for me Mm -hmm. is I am a person who pulls no punches, but I do it with compassion. Uh, Yes. Right? Yes. And so that brings me to my background because I feel like who I am, right, is so shaped by the way I was raised, by my cultures. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a first generation Um, daughter of an immigrant family. My parents immigrated here from India and I feel like I was raised and I I was raised Hindu. um, And I started caring about the things I care about at a really young age. And I feel like all of those things together kind of really shaped, shaped me, right. Being this person who pulls no punches, but does it with heart. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's important. It's important to be able to speak truth with compassion. And sometimes it's a really tricky place to stand. I think. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it can be. It can be very tricky, especially when you're in an environment, right, that prizes and prioritizes comfort. Yes. Overgrowth. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. So I have a whole list of things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about shame, self-compassion, perfectionism, healing. And I think all of those things are going to come in. Like if we just start down the road, you just opened, um, about this idea that we all want to be amazing, right? We all want to be like these badass women and we want to have, you know, every, our careers and we want to do all of these things, but we want to grow. We want to learn. We want to expand our minds, but yet we also want to be comfortable all the time and how incompatible those two things are. And you do that. You do this work a lot, right? Because you facilitate women's circles. Yes. In addition. So, so talk to us about the role that getting uncomfortable plays in all of this and how the need to be comfortable holds people back. Okay, so the first thing I want to say about that is, you know, we hear a lot of this, like in the personal development world, we hear a lot of like, you know, you know, growth comes outside of your comfort zone and all of those kinds of things. And I totally do believe that. But I do want to say something. I want to say this first. I think it's super problematic when we shove people out of their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of throwing people in the deep end. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is the path. I don't think that that is the compassionate path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily even the most challenging path. I think the compassionate path is often the most challenging path, the most stretching path, the, the path to real growth. Okay. So that's the first thing I want to say, because I don't want what I share to be kind of conflated with with that vibe. Mm-hmm. And and that's okay. If that appeals to you, awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. But then I'm not your girl. Right? right? Because for me, it is about gentleness. Mm-hmm. Even in the shifting 
and the facing our discomfort and dealing with those things. It's, it's the learning to be gentle and compassionate with ourselves in that process mm-hmm. that I think is so vital. Mm-hmm. So I do want to say that. That being said, yeah, we need to embrace discomfort. We are a society of people who have learned to, whenever we experience discomfort, we distract, we disconnect. We, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we scroll. Right? Yes. I Literally last night, I had a bad experience happen. And did I end up scrolling on my phone for four hours afterwards because I was aggravated? Yes, I did. Yes. So yeah, totally distracted. And there is a time and a place for that. But when we're truly connected to ourselves and connected to our intuition and we can feel into what our bodies and souls are actually asking for in those Mm -hmm. moments, Mm -hmm. right? The shift and the transformation happens with so much more ease Mm -hmm. than this idea of like, I got to push, I got to go, I got to do everything I'm terrified of. I'm a big fan of doing things that you're scared of. Mm -hmm. I am. It's brought me so much growth in my life. Mm But again, do the thing you're scared of, but that doesn't mean you shame yourself into doing it. Right. So this is, this is so good to talk about. I was talking to someone the other day about how tricky this gets, in my opinion, so I would love to hear your take on it, that what really I think matters is the energy behind, right? So like if you can push through something with compassion and not shame, that is not the same as someone just pushing through something, even though from the outside, they look identical. So how do you teach people to know like when they're dealing with themselves with compassion as they move through these transformational times in their life? Well, I think you point to a couple of really important things. One is intention, right? What is the intention? So when we move through something compassionately versus moving through it in a shame-based way, we consider the intention. So for example, let's say you have a goal. Uh, Maybe it's around your physical body. Maybe it has something to do with exercise, right? You have this goal. When you push through it in a shame-based way, what's your intention? Your intention is, to, to change or to modify or to, to, to prove yourself worthy in some way, to get, to improve yourself so that you become worthy mm. of goodness or love or wearing the bikini, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's shame-based versus I'm exercising. Like I am treating myself really well. I'm moving my body because I know what it does for me. I know how it makes me feel. I know how much gratitude and appreciation I have for this body of mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that th- those two things are vastly different. Yes. Right. But one, one thing that I have experienced in my life is that the compassionate path leads to lasting change from the inside out. Yes. The shameful path doesn't last. Yes. You might get the results temporarily, but they don't stay because we're not anchored in them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're we're chasing something that is never going to be enough. Like if we engage in exercise, for example, to solely for the purpose, shame-based purpose of modifying our bodies, right? It never changes. Like you never hit the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 
but what I mean, I say it never changes, but what I mean is the bar is always changing. So what never changes is the shame. Mm -hmm. You never get to the place where you're satisfied with it. Right. Right. Because it's all about chasing this illusion of attaining worthiness. Yeah. Where your body is already worthy exactly the way it is. And it's just often, it's just aching and asking to be treated with compassion. A hundred percent. When I, I just had the most beautiful realization as you were talking, um, cause when you were, when you said the bar, like the bar keeps moving, right. Which is a hundred percent true. And my, one of my big sticks is sovereignty. Like I am all about sovereignty. And I was like, oh my God, it's because we handed over our sovereignty. Cause at first I, as I was thinking, I was like, well, yeah, because we're doing it for someone else, right. We're exercising to meet someone else's standards, which really is a handing over of our own sovereignty to someone else to tell us what is enough to tell us when we're right. You know what I mean? Like, and that feels awful. Just feels terrible. Outsourcing our power always feels awful, ultimately. Yeah, 100%. So how do you teach people to speak to themselves in compassion and how to operate from a place of compassion? Because this is something that I was able to figure out finally a few years ago, which has shifted my life on its access. It's like I literally put different glasses on and the whole world looks different. I, I move through the world different. And as a result, I see it in everyone that I talk to, like in the speech patterns, I can hear and see the shame just constantly. And I often just want to cry because I want to fix it. But how you I can't just blanket fix everyone I interact with. So like when wow. you, when you work with these women, like I imagine this has got to be a constant a constant source of problems, right? Where how they speak to themselves. How do you how do you work them through that? Well, I want to say a couple of things. Well, first is I do I do host women only um workshops and women's circles, but I actually do a lot of things for all genders and I do a lot of work with men around this too. And I specifically say that because men having compassion for themselves is so key in society. People of all genders having compassion for themselves is so key, yeah. but I, this is a whole nother topic, but because there has been so much wounding for the feminine um, from the masculine, from men, from mm-hmm. patriarchy, from all of these things, that compassion is key for all for all genders. So I just wanted to say that. Yes. Thank you. Um, and also, so you asked how I help people work, yeah. move through this, right? How I help them become compassionate. So you mentioned that you've done this work and you've gotten to this place where you have more, so much more compassion for yourself and you see other people in the, like this shame-based paradigm. Mm-hmm. And you, you, first of all, you can identify it so readily, mm-hmm. right? Because you yourself have created the shift. And I think, so the, here's why I want to speak to that specifically because such an important piece of this is, is the permission. And what I mean by that is this, so many times we're actually afraid to shift out of a shame-based paradigm because it's, well, one, it's the only one we know, right? right? It's the only way. So like a new way, a different way of doing it seems so far away, but it also seems like it'll be so ineffective. So let me give an example of that. I used to, so me and my a harsh inner critic or we're, we're besties now, but for years and years and years, right. She came out all the time, extreme criticism. I was a person who I couldn't walk by a mirror without saying horrible things to myself. Yep. 
I was constantly shaming my body. I would literally like poke at my body and say terrible things to myself, right? And so I thought of my harsh inner critic though, even though she was very harsh and she was very critical, I thought of her more like a benevolent sort of boot camp military instructor type of a person. Like she was going to whip my ass yes. into shape. Like yes. If I listened to her, I would, I would get better. I would improve. I would become this person I needed to become. I would just, you know, that's, that's kind of how I thought of her. But then I realized like that shit doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. think of the people in your life, you know, if you have this, you know, experience, who shamed you into stuff. Maybe you did change some things. Maybe you did take different action as a result. But what other impact did it have on you? Mm -hmm. Did it have on the way you speak to yourself, the way you speak to others? What is leaking out sideways because of that shame? Mm -hmm. Because guaranteed something is. Mm -hmm. Nobody lives with that consistent experience of shame and doesn't have it leak into their life and wreck havoc. Mm -hmm. You may not recognize it yet. You may not be able to name it yet, but shame is poison. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. And so it's, that's a really important piece is realizing what, what actually creates change, right? Lasting deep change that results in peace and joy. And so what I mean by that is I can get, so let's go back to the body example. I can get change with my boot camp instructor, right? I can get change with the harsh inner critic. I can berate myself into those changes, right? But, and then the physical body changes. But not only does the internal not change for the better, it actually changes for the worse, mm -hmm. right? I become yeah. more invested in that shame-based paradigm. So what about though, and you can think back to when you're a kid, if you've had experiences with the person who was tender with you, right? Mm -hmm. Who really saw you, who really witnessed you. And that's, that right there is the piece around how I help people through this mm. is I help people recognize and realize and pr practice that what they're really, what their inner self is really crying out for is simply to be seen and witnessed. Mm. It's such a human need to be seen and witnessed, which is why we do so many things and jump through so many hoops mm -hmm. for other people to see and witness us. Mm -hmm. We people please because we want to be seen as good. We want to be witnessed in this way. We want all of those things, but it's so surface level because what we're really wanting is to be seen in our humanity, in our imperfection, to be seen and accepted anyway. Right. We hide all these parts of ourselves because we think that we're not going to be accepted. But when we have a deep capacity to accept ourselves because we are seeing and witnessing ourselves with compassion, yeah. right? All of that falls away. Yes. And life becomes so much more enriching and fulfilling. It's so, I didn't realize this for so long because I spent years chasing the approval of other people, right? Mm -hmm. But that approval, it's, it's so shallow, Yeah. right? It's, it's this temporary soothing. And the thing, and this is the, the thing, I, if, if you remember nothing else from this idea of 
of um, compassion practice, you know, self-compassion practice. This is the thing that I want you to remember. No external soothing will really heal that internal wound. In order to really heal that internal wound, we have to witness ourselves in compassion. We constantly want somebody else to soothe it for us, yeah. right? And we, we, we engage in all kinds of things to, to make that happen. Yeah. But that's really the core and the intention of helping people cultivate this practice of witnessing themselves with this tenderness, this gentleness, um, because it really, you know, we think healing work is work and it is work. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. It's that's why not everybody does it. Right. Right. But the difficulty or the, the bulk of the work isn't in the shit the boot camp instructor tells you to do. It isn't in all of the like changes that you make and all of the like check boxes you check off. It actually isn't in that. The vast, I would say the majority of the practices that we need to really heal and evolve and become who we're meant to be revolve around this idea of just witnessing, just honestly seeing with tenderness and compassion what is. Right. Oh, you said so many beautiful things. I'm over here taking notes and trying to feel, oh my goodness. Um, so first I, I want to point out, because I've seen this when you were like, I thought that the tough inner drill sergeant would motivate me to be better. That she was my friend really. And I feel like that's a message that we've all received unilaterally across the board. Like, it's like, no, no, you have to do better, be better, be more. And the best way to get there is to bullwhip yourself. Right. Like, I I feel like most people probably got that messaging and I want people to understand how normal that is, that we were taught. Right. That that was how Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be. I don't tell a lot of my family stories because they're very private. um, My my parents. But I was talking to my mother and being like, mom, like, why stop beating up on yourself? Like, you absolutely did the best that you could. You bent over backwards to be all that you could be. Recognize that instead of looking at all of these things that you feel that you're not. And her response to me was literally, I'm worried that if I do that, that I will turn into those people who just think they're all that and who are so stuck up and so snobby and don't care about anyone else. And I remember, I was like, but mom, that's not who you are. Like, why would that, why would that happen? Like, that's not you. Right. Well, but, but it, but it, it points to something bigger, which is, well, there's a couple of things. One, what was modeled for us? Yeah. Right. Did we ever witness somebody tenderly loving themselves, compassionately loving themselves? Right. Right. Did we ever witness someone doing that? Or did we only witness people either berating themselves to change or people who don't change, who stay stuck and don't evolve and refuse to? Yes. Right. Yes. And so that's part of it too that makes it so difficult. If you've never had it modeled for you, you have to figure that shit out on your own. Right. Right. That is that is a significant piece. Like that is a piece too that I encourage 
people to have a lot of compassion with themselves about. Right. You're doing the best you can. You're figuring out some really new shit on your own. Right. And yes, you have support. You have people like me. You have, you know, whatever resources where we have resources accessible to us to support us in our healing in a different way than we ever had before. And, and you haven't had it modeled for you, right? How to access those things, how to connect to those things, how to prioritize that, how to, you know, take care of yourself and take care of community. Yeah. Because what has been modeled for most of us is how to take care of community, especially depending on our identities, but especially as women, how to take care of community and run yourself into the ground mm-hmm. by not taking care of yourself simultaneously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. To all the things. I'm just over here like, yes, yes, little, I'm the little peanut gallery <laughs> nodding over here. Um <laughs> Oh, so good. Well, and what you just did, I want to point out, as you were talking about, you haven't ever had it modeled for you, right? Like that is the narrative that you just handed people of how to take shame out of that inner monologue. Like so many people are like, well, I mean, I just, I don't know why this is so hard and why can't I just do this? And I'm like, because why would you know? Has anyone in your life shown you how to do that? Like, why are you yelling at yourself for something that you had literally no exposure to? They're like, well, I should have just known. Why? (laughs) Yeah. Why? Why and how? Yeah, exactly. Like that, that piece is so important. And here's, here's another thing that I think is such a foundational thing for me when I work with people is So oftentimes when I work with people who struggle to show compassion to themselves, these same people prioritize showing compassion and empathy and care to other people, right? So very often the people who struggle the most with internal shame, not always, but very often those people care so much about making sure other people feel good and making sure other people are okay. But here's the thing. If we don't learn to genuinely have compassion and tenderness towards ourselves, then when we interact with other people, we will constantly be seeking for them to soothe those wounds for us. And instead of engaging in in the kind of like community building work that we can do, we end up kind of sucking the environment dry, right? Yes. Oh my God. Listen, I did not think that's where you were going with that. I thought I knew where you were going with that. And then you went a little left field and it's so fucking perfect. And I love you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like, it's that's how I roll. <laughs> it's true. Like, cause for me, like where I thought you were going was I, I've been amazed at how much more compassion I have for everyone around me when I found it for myself. Like it's not even the same galaxy of compassion. It's like, it's a literal different act, but I I had not connected the lack of, and I, as soon as you said, I was like, Oh my God, of course, like that's so obvious, but like the lack of compassion for ourselves for that constant draw and need for other people to tell you that you're good enough because you're literally destroying yourself inside. You have nothing left what you have, you're giving to them. And so you're like, please, like, please give me something, anything back. Cause I, I don't have anything in the tank. That is huge. Well, and especially, so 
Um, we didn't mention it coming in, but um, your background is Hindu and then you converted to Mormonism, which we're going to talk about in your episode. Um, and you live in Utah. So I know coming out of the Mormon community, this this mentality of service, 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 which sounds so great on the surface level, right? Like what could be so bad about service? Except it is quite literally at the cost of destroying oneself. Like it doesn't matter if it's who you are. It doesn't matter if it's ideal for you. It doesn't matter if you have time. It doesn't matter if you have energy. It doesn't matter if you have depression. It doesn't matter. Like you show up and you do all of these things because that's godly. Um, And that's a hard, hard message to delete. And I know that this is coming in for women outside of Mormonism too. I've talked to a lot of ex-evangelicals that really struggle with this. Um, And it ties into the, the, the message of the podcast, which is like, well, God's where it's a hard stop, right? Like, sure. Love yourself. But like, not as long as it doesn't interfere with your godly service, like as long as you don't have to turn down any of that, how do you get women to, uh, well, I want you to talk about two things. I want you to talk about really like specifically, how do you help people find, how do you help people find compassion for themselves? But also when God is involved in that, how do you get them to unweave that narrative of like, God wants you to stand there and die for the benefit of everybody else? So, okay. So first I want to say this, it, it, you're right. That idea about God, right. And I want to equate it also with survival. So you're right that these populations and people who come out of, like you said, that kind of religious dogma are prone to this. But there's another piece too that is also connected that I want to specifically state, which is when you are, so for black and brown folks, people who have been colonized, have these colonized histories, Mm -hmm. the same thing happens out of survival, meaning Mm -hmm. what you do is for the collective, right? Literally enmeshment is how black and brown folks all over the world survived horrific acts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's that piece as well, right? And so, and then, and then you, and then add this extra layer <laughs> of religion, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, martyrdom and suffering for the collective, right? Yeah. And then it becomes this, like, just this soup of just so much shame and toxicity and just mess. But here's the other thing. Those behaviors served us until they didn't. And just like my harsh inner critic, I thought she was my bestie. And actually she kind of was, right? She was looking out for me. Mm -hmm. We we engage in behaviors for a purpose. They served us or they served our people at some point. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important piece of recognizing this is understanding. Because here's the thing. Then people, if you don't recognize that, then you have shame about the shame. Exactly. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> You're like, what is wrong with me? I should not be this. Like, yes. it's, it's just, and it just becomes this, this spiral. But it's, that's the thing that I think is so crucial is to understand the context. So I'm not a big fan of dwelling in that place. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of being like, you know what? All of these things happen to me. And so I get to, I get to behave however I want. Right. No. Right. We witness with compassion. We witness Mm -hmm. with that tenderness. Right. Yeah. Because that, that's what, that's, what's being asked. That's, that's what we're craving. Right. Mm -hmm. And we want to, to give it to ourselves. And so I am a person who deeply values service and generosity. Right. And that comes from 
a lot of places. I, I saw it in my life, right? My parents, you know, our culture, our, our Indian, our Malayali, you know, Keralite culture, generosity is highly valued, right? Being of service to the community is highly valued. Okay. I witnessed it growing up. My parents cared about the community. They, they did things for the community. Right. And so when I became an adult and, you know, converted to the church or whatever, that really appealed to me. Like from the beginning, Jesus was my homeboy and still is because I loved that piece around service and generosity. But oftentimes we feel like it butts up against these other things, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I value service and generosity, mm -hmm. but have boundaries and be mm -hmm. compassionate to myself? Yes. Like somehow we've learned that those two things are incompatible, but that's actually could not be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Let's take Christ himself as an example, right? He did all of these generous service-minded things, but when he needed to sleep, he slept, right? When he needed to flip tables because he was pissed, he did that shit, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like he, he, and he, he took care of himself when he needed to, he had disciples waiting for him. And he was like, Hey, I need a break. Right. Y'all have to wait. Right. Yeah. And so even there we recognize, like, if that's something that for you personally, you're like, well, I want to be like Christ. Okay. Be like Christ, have some boundaries. Right. You know? right, which is never talked about. It's always like yeah. giving, 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 which he did, obviously. Yeah. But like, we, but he had the capacity to do it right. because of how he was to himself. And so that's yeah. really the core. So when I work with people who are like, but if I don't sacrifice everything, I'm bad. Right. I'm not good. Right. So that's, so that's one piece around it, but here's the other piece around it at the core of it. And this might be hard to hear. This was a hard truth for me to accept here. I was going along in life. I'm this service minded, generous person. I love to help people. I love to do things for people. La 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 la. Right. Yeah. And then I had to come to the realization that Yes, that's a value for me, but also I do all this shit to help people. So I feel better about myself because deep down inside, mm. I don't feel worthy of goodness. Mm. That is a hard truth, Letha. You are right. And it is so true. It is. So it is. True. It's, it is hard to face that. Well, and yeah. so that's one of the beautiful things that has come to me in this journey is that in this practice that I have deepened over the course of many years now of being tender with myself, being compassionate with myself, honestly, treating myself incredibly well, right? Yeah. As I've done this, my capacity to show up in a generous, service-minded way to both the people who are closest to me, my inner circle, and to the greater community at large, right. my capacity is so expansive. Yeah. Yes. It's so expansive. Right. And my, my ability to see people where they are is so much, there's so much more depth and breadth because of my consistent practice in witnessing myself mm. with tenderness and compassion. Yeah. So. I, it's so, so for me, this is, this is such a beautiful topic and I, 
want to just shout it from the rooftops and insert it into everyone's brain while they're sleeping somehow. Um, it's, I feel like treating yourself with tenderness and compassion is one of those things that's like trying to explain salt because it is incomprehensible the difference that it will make in your life until you've experienced it. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like how, how is this, how am I so different in every aspect of my life and every aspect of my being just because I, I was nice to myself in a legitimate Mm -hmm. way. Like not just like, Oh, I'm, I'm great. Right. Like really witnessing yourself and having deep, deep compassion shifts everything. And yeah, the capacity is mind blowing. Like I really thought that the person that I am today, I would have told you was impossible to, for me to ever be, because that's just not how I was wired right? Like that's for Mm -hmm. other people, like that level of calmness and compassion and happiness and joy. Like that was, I could, I'd seen it in people, but like, I was never going to be that person. That was just, you know, I was a depressed, anxious person. Like that's not, you know, like that wasn't, that could not ever be me. And it is, it's you, I can't explain the difference it's going to make to people until they start to experience it. Well, yeah, I, I literally thought I was going to be like a woman in my 80s walking past the mirror and being like, oh, you're so ugly. Yeah. Like, I, I legit thought that was how I was going to live my life. The, the idea, I was just like, I'm just going to deal with the fact that I'm ugly. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, and it was, I didn't, you're right. I didn't realize how deeply and how much compassion would change everything. But to your mom's point, that story that you told earlier of how like, well, what, like, I'm not going to change, right? This, this fear that if I let that criticism or that harshness or whatever go, I'm, I'm not going to change. But here's the truth though. Compassion is kindness, Mm -hmm. right? And you use the word nice, being nice to yourself. And I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit because I think you're saying anything wrong, but here's, I teach, I teach a module, a workshop about niceness versus kindness. And I talk about this idea about niceness being surface level and kindness being described oh, as, yeah. as, as more depth. And so here's why I want to say it's about being kind to yourself. Cause here's the thing. Niceness is surface level bullshit. Kindness mm. holds you accountable. So having uh-huh. self-compassion doesn't mean you don't hold yourself accountable. It's yeah. actually the very opposite. Kindness, compassion is accountability. Yeah. Right. If my kid acts like an asshole and I don't correct them or direct them or bring it to their attention or directly do whatever, is that compassionate? Is that kind? Now I can do it in a way that's not shaming. Right. Right. I can, I can do it in a way that's not like you're a terrible person. Right. But if I don't hold my child accountable, am I really being kind? Right. Maybe I'm being nice. Oh, honey, you're fine be an asshole to the neighbors. That's totally good. Yeah. You know, right. (laughs) Right. Like it, that's the other piece is that people, again, because they haven't had it modeled for them. They haven't had genuine compassion necessarily modeled for them. Compassion isn't shaming, but it also isn't not holding people accountable for their bullshit. Yeah. And so when you, when you engage in a self-compassion practice where you can witness yourself and you can see yourself with tenderness, you can also trust yourself to hold yourself accountable when you mess up. Yes. Right? You yes. can trust yourself that you will you will engage in the actions that you need to engage in that reflect your values. 
right? That yeah. you'll make the repairs mm-hmm. when you screw up, right? Right. Yes. And so that's the other thing. This self-compassion practice isn't just like patting yourself on the back and being like, you're wonderful no matter what you do. Yep. No, yeah. it's loving and witnessing yourself in all of it, all of the humanity and all of the messiness and all of the shadow and all of the, like, it's, it's, it's seeing yourself in that rawness yeah. and still being good with it. Yeah. Still being good with you, still loving you. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, thank you for making that clarification because I think you're dead on and words matter. And I love the accountability factor that you're tying into kindness. So for me, I'm going to just, because I know old me of 10 years ago would be listening to all this and be like, but how, like, what does that even mean? So I'm going to tell people what I do in this practice. And then I would love, like, if you have any pushback or feedback, like, please. And also what you do to teach people. So I, my bathtub and me are really good friends for this, um, job. Cause if I'm struggling with something, um, especially the, um, quote unquote, ugly emotions, right? Like the things that old me would be like, this is shameful. Like we don't admit that we're jealous or pissed off or angry because logically this feels petty, right? Or this feels like I should be above this. And when I can't resolve that really quickly, yeah, I, I will. So I'll take a minute to settle myself to face right? I have to be like, no, it's going to be okay. Like I'm going to look this in the face and I'm going to be fine because I'm always fine. It's going to be good. I get in the bathtub. I put on some music. I light candles. I settle in. I relax and I wait till I can feel my body relax. And I focus on just love for myself, right? For a second so that I can help myself relax. And I, I have to audibly talk out because I'm a verbal processor. So I will say out loud every, all of the things that were quote unquote too embarrassing, right? Like I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I am feeling super jealous that this person did this thing. And I'm also embarrassed by this jealousy because part of me feels that I should be better than that. But of course I'm embarrassed by that. And of course I'm jealous because I'm a little insecure in that area still. So of course I reacted like that. My God, how else would I have reacted in that situation? That was a hard, painful, and I'm like literally talking out loud in my bathroom, right? That's a hard, painful trigger. And then once I get through all of the ugly stuff that I'm like, oh no, I can't look beyond that. Once I've said it all, it's beautiful because the love just starts coming in. And it's like, oh God, like she hit, it was nothing about what she did. She hit your wound from this event. That's what's actually going on. Oh shit, no what? I really did have like super good reason for reacting like that. And you just keep walking it down and walking it down. And a lot of times I will end up just loving on sad little me that's like, oh, you're the one that got really hurt by that. Like, okay, I can let that go. And now all of the other stuff collapses. And at no point did I shame myself. And because I didn't shame myself, I was able to stay open. And so it just kept, it was like mm, uh, flower petals that just, you know, it was like I was soft with the first layer and so it would unfold. And then I was soft with the next layer and it would unfold. And then you get down to that like little golden center where it's actually the key. And it's every time I do that, it's so transformational. It's like a little quantum jump forward where everything in my life just shifts a little bit again. Anyway, so that's my, that is my kindness practice. I would love to hear yours. I, I love that so much. 
it, it touches what I was talking about, which is just this idea of your deep desire to be witnessed. Yes. Right? Just to be acknowledged and to be seen. You know, those experiences that we've all had where we at some point in our lives expressed our feelings. Maybe we did it verbally. Maybe we did it as a baby just through crying. But at some point, all of us experienced this, and some of us experienced it more than others, but this experience of somebody else not being able to witness us, Mm -hmm. not being able, they didn't have the capacity for our feelings. They didn't have the capacity for our emotions. So they shut us down, right? So we cried or we screamed or we whatever. And it was, it could have been anything from like, oh, you're okay. You're fine. Don't worry. It could have been, you know, all the way up to being abused, right? For showing our emotions and our, our whatever, right? But the thing is, Like we've all had that experience and many of us internalized that, right? To like, okay, when I really express my deepest emotions, Mm -hmm. it, it, it disconnects me from people, right? That we, we internalize that at some point. Yes. That's a core wound of mine. That is a core wound of mine that I've been healing. Yeah. It's a core wound for so many people. They don't even realize it necessarily. But at some point, many of us learned you've got big feelings. Other people will disconnect from you, right? Because our caregivers didn't have the capacity to do it. And so then we do that to ourselves. I've got big feelings. I'm going to disconnect. Right. That's the pattern. Yes. And so the antidote really, or the, the, the healing for that rupture is... For us to, and, and it's important for us to do this in community and in relationships too, but my focus right now and what we're, what we're on is this idea of our relationship with ourselves, right? And so what I need to do there is to deeply witness my own big emotions, yes. allow space for my own feelings, right? Yeah. See and witness and compassionately hold those feelings and hold myself accountable. Meaning when I engage in actions that are harmful to other people because of my wounding, right? In the past, when I engaged in actions that were harmful to other people because of my wounding, I went straight to the action. I got to change that. I got to white knuckle this. I'll give you an example. I used to, I, I grew up in a household with a lot of yelling. That was normal, right? Totally normal. I started raising my kids I swore up and down I would never beat them or touch them, and I never did, but I yelled. I would scream and yell at my kids till my throat hurt because that was, quote unquote, normal. Right. And I felt a lot of shame about it. I knew it was harmful to the kids. I had, I didn't like being yelled at, right? Mm-hmm. And so for a while, I white knuckled it. I'm not going to scream at my kids. I'm not going to scream at my kids. I'm not going to scream at my kids. I'm, I would grit my yeah. teeth, but I'd lose my shit eventually. <laughs> right. Right. Because I was white knuckling. I was right. just gripping on tight and swearing up and down. I am not going to yell. Yeah. Right. Yep. I, I will acknowledge this and anybody who is really close to me will understand. I'm an Enneagram eight. If that makes sense to anybody, my core like base emotion is rage. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that is something that I know that I'm prone to right now. When I tried to white knuckle it, it never lasted. I would eventually start yelling. But when I shifted into tenderness and compassion, right? Yeah. 
for my inner me that experienced so much rage because of all of the experiences I had when I was younger, right? Yeah. Like this is a core wound for a lot of parents. That's something that comes up a lot. When you're enraged that your kids don't listen to you, right? That was one of mine. If I said something to my kids when they were younger and they didn't listen to me, oh, my, my, my temper would just flare up, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not listening to me. So imagine me white knuckling that, okay, even if they don't listen to me, even if they don't listen to me, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to yell. Yep. But then I end up yelling, right? Yep. Versus I recognize that this is my core wound. Yeah. I didn't feel heard as a kid. I didn't feel seen as a kid, right? Yep. I grew up with adults around me. And again, this was normal at that time. Who, When I would ask a question, the answer would be because I said so. Yep. And that pissed me off. Right. Right. I hated feeling dismissed. I hated feeling unheard. I wanted somebody to hear me. And I spent my life as a kid, I would speak up about things and be suppressed and shut down. That was my core wound. So when I learned how to pour compassion onto that for me, that's what shifted. Instead of white knuckling that I wasn't going to yell at my kids, I was able to come from a place of genuine like understanding, right? And be able to hold space for myself and my children. Right. Right. And and now, sure, I'm I'm a human being, so once in a while I will lose my shit, but I rarely yell at my kids. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. Because I have learned that it's about me. So again, that's that accountability yeah. piece, right? The tenderness, the compassion, all of that is very important. Yeah. Of course I did what I did. This is what I was modeled. This was the best I could do. This, all of that is true. And I hold myself accountable that this is not the kind of environment that I want to create for my children. Yes. Yeah. Why? So, and I think it's so fascinating to me because in my experience, I feel like when we start speaking to ourselves with compassion and not just speaking, when we treat ourselves with compassion, right? When we wrap compassion around every experience we're having as a human, it's like learning a different language and then you apply the language to everyone else. Like all of a sudden, the way that they're acting out, you're like, oh, that's that. Like, I know mm-hmm. what I'm seeing because I finally turned and looked at it in myself. And now I can speak that dialogue. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's beautiful. Absolutely. So, it really is. So, okay. I want you to talk a little bit about the concept of the best that we can do because this is so tricky. People, this is the narrative always like, well, no, I could have done better. And learning how to be like, but should have and could have are totally different, right? Like what you're really saying is I should have done better because we're not taking into mm-hmm. account our mental state, right? Our, the the other loads that we were carrying, our exhaustion level, did we sleep last night? Had we had food? Like we're not taking any of that into account. We're just looking backward and being like, oh, well, I, I, that was the not the best that I could do versus that was the best I can do. How how would you teach people to evaluate what their best actually is in a compassionate way? That's an interesting question. So I feel like there's a couple of things here. One, foundationally, my work is about connecting people to their own intuition. So, so much of this is what I basically invite people to embrace their personal sovereignty in this, meaning 
what is effective for them is something that's going to come through their intuition and their understanding as they deeply connect to themselves. Does that make sense? Yes. So this idea that I'm not just going to tell you, like, if you do A, B, and C, you will have these results. No, I am teaching you to trust yourself, to connect to yourself so that when the answers come and they will, right, Mm -hmm. that you will act on them. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes. So that's a really big piece of it for me is I am not here to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I am here to support you in trusting yourself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you'll know what to do. And therefore you'll know what your best is. So how do you, okay. So if you're talking to someone who intuition is kind of foreign to them, Mm -hmm. how do we get there? How do you get them to find that intuition? Yeah. Okay. So that, that again, that is so much of my work is these small practices of reconnecting with self. All of us came to this earth connected to our intuition, mm-hmm. right? Have you ever seen a baby um, being handed to somebody that they don't want to be held by? Yeah. Yeah. Right? They recoil. They're like arching their back. They're, I mean, I'm sure there are cases of abuse where that the, the baby has already kind of disconnected from the intuition. Mm-hmm. But in, in a lot of cases, in most cases, a baby that still has that connection to self intact will recoil. Yeah. When put in a situation, when what happens when you feed a baby mashed peas and they hate mashed peas? Right. They spit that shit out because yes. it's disgusting, right? Yes. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I love peas, but come on. Anyway. <laughs> Baby food, mashed peas, a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we had that, that connection to self. And over time, many of us disconnected from it in an effort to please the people around us, to, to receive love, to receive connection, to belong to our family or belong to a social circle or belong to a church or belong wherever, right? Right. We shape shift. Mm-hmm. And so the antidote to that is to, again, I'm not going to throw you in the deep end of the pool, Right. If you have been a shapeshifter all your life, I'm not going to tell you to, you know, get on Instagram and say, fuck all of you. Like, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, that's, that's not, don't th- jump in the deep end of the pool. But what are the small practices that you can engage in that reconnect you to self, right? It can be as simple. Like I've had clients where the practice was as simple as when you go out to eat and the waiter goes to like, you know, suggest a drink choose something different. Right. Like that's, I've worked with people pleasers who struggled to even say to the waiter, actually, I don't want that. Right. You know? Right. So for that person, that might be their practice. Right. And so that's, I, I invite people to connect to their intuition to the degree that they can, even in the tiniest ways, right? The very, very small practices of what can you say no to? I often have people who come to me and they're like, I try, you know, I, I, I'm a recovering people pleaser and I set these boundaries with my parents and da, 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 and I can't stick to them. And, and I'm like, well, of course, first of all, your parents are some of the hardest people to set boundaries with yes, for a lot of people. So much. Right. But again, you're, it's too jarring to the nervous system to go from being this people pleaser to like setting these hardcore boundaries. Right. Yeah. Baby steps, yeah. baby steps, practice 
the baby steps. So practice the baby steps of connecting to intuition. Even the moment, one of the, the simplest practices that I invite people to do when they struggle with this is the pause. So when somebody asks you a question, many people are accustomed to instantly answering, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Right. And just inviting the pause and saying, do I really want to do that? Yeah. What do I really want? So many of us don't ever pause. Right. We just instantly, and I did this for years, instantly go into whatever the other person wants. Yeah. But here's the beauty of that. Now that I've become this person who does not do that, and when somebody requests something of me, I deeply feel into my intuition, into my body to see that if, if it's something that's in alignment for me. But here's the wonderful thing. When I say yes to somebody, it is a fuck yes. Yes. It is a full body yes, right? Yeah. It is yes. a, I am present. I am here with you. I am deeply connected to you. Yeah. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And having a handful of those experiences is worth so much more than the hundreds and thousands of interactions I had that were surface level. Sure, I'll do it. Right. 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 But not that deep. This is my purpose. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And life is so much more fulfilling with a lot of fuck yeses. It is. It is. Well, and I think too, like how beautiful would the world be if we were all doing our fuck yeses because people are like, well, but we'd have all these things undone. That's not true. We all have such different yes points, right? Like what lights me up inside is someone else's nightmare. Like me sitting here with you and, and talking and having this dialogue and, and I mean, because I'm hosting it, I have to think on my feet a little different. That is a nightmare to some people, right? Where for me, I'm like, yeah, like, let's do this thing. But if we all did it, what we really wanted to do, the impact that we would each have would be so much larger because we would excel at the things we're saying yes to. Instead of saying Mm -hmm. yes to all of these things and doing them to the best of our capacity, which is unfortunately nowhere near the capacity of someone who is all in in that department. Does that make sense where I'm going with this? I think so. I think too, you know, another piece to this, what you're saying makes me think about, I always tell people when they struggle to set boundaries, I always tell people when you set an honest, authentic boundary, it helps everyone involved. Oh yeah. Like it's the right thing for everyone. So when you honor yourself, when you say the thing, like I have had so many experiences, especially recently where somebody sets a boundary with me or tells me what they cannot do, right? And I have so much peace because it leads to the right thing. Them saying no to me led to the right thing. It led to the the thing that I didn't know I needed, Mm -hmm. but was so much better for me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, and again, I, as, as, as spiritual and as woo woo as I am, I'm also very logical and Mm -hmm. (laughs) evidence-based, right? Right? And so I love to point out to people the evidence that comes when you live your life in this way, when you honor yourself, you will begin to gather evidence. You have to have the time and the patience to gather the evidence over time because the initial time that you set boundaries, you will probably get a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. And if you judge it by that, you'll give up and you'll stop and you'll be like, oh, this isn't worth it, Uh right? But if if you can have faith, like, okay, I'm going to honor myself. 
And over time, I'm going to see the evidence of this. You absolutely will. Over time, seeing that evidence of what it does when you honor yourself, when you honor your boundaries, when you do what is correct for you, and then you see, and again, back to those people who value generosity, who value service, who value community, Mm -hmm. right? When you start to see the evidence that you honoring yourself actually creates so much more opportunity for everyone else too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then your your desire to continue doing it just becomes even stronger. The ease with which you do it, the naturalness with which you do it, yeah. right? That being said, I will say this. I often tell people this. It is okay. So for example, if you're a recovering people pleaser, it is okay if for the rest of your life, Your first thought is still, when somebody expresses unhappiness, if your first thought is still panic, because you got to fix it, that's okay. A lot of people look at healing as like, oh, I'm not even going to think that anymore. Actually, you may think that for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But what's different when you heal isn't that you don't think that. What's different is what you do next. Mm -hmm. What's different is how quickly you recover from that story, right? right? What's different is how compassionate and curious you get about it versus shaming, right? That's what changes. So people will often say to me, I've been on this healing journey for years and I still think this. And I'm like, yeah, and? But what do you do differently? Right. Right? What do you do that's different? And another piece to that is this. When you still think those ways that your old self thought, right? Mm -hmm. It's a testament to how powerful the human brain is, right? Those those neural pathways are powerful. But it's also this. When you remember what it's like to be that person, right? Your capacity to hold space and have compassion for other people who were where you were in your past is so much more expansive. And how much more change can we create as a community when we have that deep empathy for somebody because we remember what it was like to be them. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that that remembrance and that like, oh, I haven't fully, completely, a thousand percent changed thing is actually a gift, That's a me. reminder, right? A reminder of how far you've come and a reminder that there are other people out there who are still in this space who need compassion too. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. And it is, it's so true because I, there are certain things for me that are fading and I do start to forget. And I am like, Oh, I am, I am aware that I am less beneficial to others in those areas where it's getting foggier because yeah, to, to have that memory and to hold on to those things is beneficial when, when serving others for, for sure. I can definitely see that. I'd love to share one example of that in a, in a workshop I did this year, um, a white woman, we were talking about decolonizing relationships. And this was a white woman who is eager to, and is active in, um, you know, anti-racism spaces, right. In, in, in spaces like that. And she was saying to me, and she was said to me with great pain, right. About how painful it is to recognize, right. Her, Her, she was unpacking, her identity as a white woman, her safety, right? She was unpacking all this stuff around misogyny and patriarchy and all of these things, right? And she was crying and she was emotional and she was like, how do I move past this? Like, 
sometimes the pain of it all feels so suffocating, right? Yeah. It feels like, and, and I, and it's very, very real. And again, I have so much compassion for that because it, that lack of safety in the body for women, that's a very real thing that we experience, right? Over and over again in this world. But this is what I said to her. I said, as hard as this may be to hear, and I know that you're in pain, right? But as hard as this may be to be, may be excuse me, to hear, it actually touches me and I feel like is very important to me that you do keep a remembrance of this pain mm. because you want to do work to, to help dismantle these systems of oppression that suffocate your black and brown sisters, right? Yeah. That suffocate black and brown women. You want to do this work as a white woman, right? Yeah. So what would happen if you really forgot what this, this lack of safety and this pain and this intensity felt like? I said, hold on to it to some degree because it will propel you in your work. Mm -hmm. It will propel you when things get rough because they will. If you are a white woman entering anti-racism spaces and you're trying to do this work, you will experience a lot of discomfort, a lot of pushback, a lot of questioning, a lot of everything, a lot of dismantling of your identities, a, lo a lot of stuff. You will experience a lot of that. Right. So you need to retain a remembrance of this pain and suffering because as much pain and suffering as you experience, when you add these other identities of sexuality and race and color and culture, right? Yeah. That pain, that pain is even more all encompassing, right? So if you forgot what it was like, could you really show up to these spaces with the tenderness and compassion that is needed? Right. That's beautiful. So there is a beauty, right? There's such beauty in retaining a remembrance of those wounds and that scarring. Like when I think about, you know, in the, I don't believe this, but in the Mormon church, they talk about like your, uh, your body becoming perfect after this life mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. When I picture my perfect body, I have all my stretch marks. Mm -hmm. I love that. I have all my scars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I really, truly do believe that, it's that the scars are, are, are part of the beauty of being human and allow us to connect to other people in a deeper way than yes. we could without that remembrance. Yes. Yes. And there is so much beauty in that. There is so much power in moving through the world and seeing and understanding and therefore being able to assist because you have lived it. And we don't all live everything. Like I had to text a friend just last night and say like, I am not qualified to answer this question for you because I've never been in anywhere close to this scenario and have no right to speak to this because I have not lived this. And I, I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that I think are themed, right? Like pain is pain and loss is loss. And, but there are lines where, where certain situations are not comprehensible until you have lived them. Um, and so to look at those of like badges of honor in a way, I think is, is empowering and compassionate and beautiful and completely accurate. Yeah. And, and such a, 
such a, I think, testament to the beauty of being human. Yeah. Right? I think that the most beautiful thing about being human is the capacity to evolve. Oh, so much. So much. And I find that to be so hopeful and empowering. Like, I can ev- I can continue to evolve and continue to change and I can become who it is that I intuitively know that I am. Like, that's fucking phenomenal. It really is. And when you recognize that that process doesn't have to come from berating and beating yes. and squeezing and changing and choking and right. Well, I, that I that would say that it can't come. come from that. Like not only that it like, yeah. you know, that it cannot come from that. Sorry. I interrupted you continue, but it's not possible. You can't get there through the berating. It doesn't happen. No, you, you might think you're, no, you're right. You might think you're getting there because you see some of that surface level change. Yeah. Right. But it, you won't, and it won't last. And Again, if you are a person who values how you show up for other people, your shit's going to leak out on all your relationships as much as you think that it isn't. You know, something that I find really happens a lot with people who struggle with shame is that they often have this false idea that, and I had this false idea, that I can be shameful to and about myself, but I'm not going to do it to other people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah. your stuff is going to leak out sideways. Absolutely. Always. Always. Yeah. You think it isn't, but your shit's always leaking out sideways. Yes. And that, again, goes back to the accountability piece. Self-compassion isn't just, oh, you're you're good. It's, you know, we can tell ourselves, like, no, you're a good person, right? Yeah. Performative compassion, right, is when you mess up and you're like, Oh, but you're a good person. You're not a bad person. You're a good person. Yeah. Right. And then there's nothing versus you're a good person, but you did a bad thing. Yeah. And in order to really be in alignment with what you value, you need to repair this thing. Yes. You need to do better. Uh You need to learn something different. Right. And I'm telling you this because I love you. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's this James Baldwin quote that I love, love so much where he's talking about, and I wish I could quote it directly, um, but I probably can't, but he's talking about the United States and he talks about how I love my country so deeply. And that is why I reserve the right to perpetually criticize her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I, again, paraphrasing, he said it much better than me, but I love that quote for, for many, many reasons, but I think it applies to everything. Right. Yeah. While I wouldn't necessarily say perpetually criticize yourself, but again, recognize that it is in love, right? It's in love and compassion or through love and compassion that we come to real accountability. Yes. Yes. I, God, this is so, I love this whole conversation. (laughs) I just, I'm having a, every time, every so often I hit a guest where it's harder for me to like host and do my job because I'm just like, yes, listening, listening. And then I'm like, shit, I didn't think of what we were going next. Oh no. Um, (laughs) So I'm struggling. This is what I'm running into. But like, um, what was I going to say? Shit. I always do that. I like put a caveat in and then forget where it was going. Um, Oh, when we've done so we have to start small like you said right like telling the waiter like no I don't I don't actually want that or like sitting and being like 
am I going to go do that volunteer opportunity? Like, do I actually want to, or am I just going so that I'll be viewed as, you know, an acceptable person? But the more you do it and the more times you sit in a bathtub, you know, and like walk through your stuff, it's amazing. Like every now and again, I'll still get hit with something that stings a little more than others. And I'm like, Oh baby, there it is. But being able to judge myself with compassion or like not judge myself, but correct myself with compassion. So this is literally what it looks like in my life now, because I've been doing this for a really long time. Well, it feels like a long time. Um, if I'm getting judgmental towards somebody else, it's usually a pretty good indicator <laughs> that like, mm-hmm. that's something that I'm weak in. And so it's, it's mostly fast now where I'm like, Oh baby, like, why on. I, I want to correct you. Yes. Yeah. Please I want to please you. do. Push back on that. So when we see something in someone else and we're judgmental about Mm -hmm. it, you said, repeat what you said. You said, I don't know. You know, it's something that you're lacking in yourself. Well, did I say lacking? That was an unfortunate word choice. No. Um, What did you say? Maybe you didn't say lacking. It's something I see in, uh, when I, when I'm judging someone else, it's usually something that is happening within me, or it's usually a part of me that is still struggling with that particular issue. Because, because what I wanted to say was this. Oftentimes when we're judging that thing in someone else or we're jealous, it's actually because we have that capacity too. We're just not accessing it yet. Wait, what? Say that again. I thought I... We have that capacity too. We're just not accessing it yet. So when we see somebody who's doing something and we're judging them. So for example, we're judging somebody for... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So we're judging somebody for their free expression and we feel judgy about that. And we might think it's, it's, it's because, oh, that pushes my buttons. I don't like how they're being, but very often it's because there's a part of us that craves expressing ourselves fully that way. And so when we see it in somebody else, it's triggering. Like, how come they get to do that? Yeah. So I want to talk about that. So that's actually not where I was going, but I have a quote of yours here about this. So where I was going was, um, when you see, like, when I see somebody, something in someone else that I don't like, right? Like, I'm like, oh, God, like, mm-hmm. that wasn't acceptable or that. Quite often, it's because there's that tendency within myself. And I've gotten fast yes. enough that I can be like, why am I so judgy of this? And then I'm like, oh, because ah. oh, I do that. And it's delightful because I'm literally processing it with, like, the laugh of, like, oh, they're okay. Well, sister, the curiosity, right? You're going to, we're going to look into that. Like we're going to start poking at that because there is, there's something there that you need to look at. And it's delightful to be able to do that without fear and judgment because I'm not scared of approaching myself. Yeah. I'm not scared Mm -hmm. of doing that transitional work. You're not going to shame yourself. Exactly. So I can just be like, ah, there it is. And sometimes I'll even like, while laughing, I'll be like, oh, that's uncomfortable. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's okay Mm -hmm. because I know I can get through it. So, but I want to go to what you were talking about. And I literally have this skip right in front of me. I've been shifting. So I wrote, um, I transcribed a lot of your Instagram quotes here. So several times during our conversation, I've been like shuffling between like trying to find the right one. But you've been talking so amazingly. I haven't needed to read a single one. But I want to read this one. So it's because it's about the box. So. One of your posts, you said, I'm just going to read this verbatim. You trigger people when you exit the box, they're still trapped in. You know how I know that? Because when I was drowning in low self-worth and people pleasing and lack of boundaries, watching women be assertive, watching them own their worth, their sensuality, claiming their needs and their desires, it triggered me. I wasn't in a place to admit, um, I'm sorry, I didn't read that right. I wasn't in a place to admit that or see it for what it was for a long period, but here's the truth. 
What triggered me was that my deepest intuition knew that I could be there too, but I was living a story. The story that I was trapped, that this is the way that I am, that I was where I was because of everyone else in my life. But to witness someone else standing in their power meant my story of being a victim wasn't accurate. These people showed me what was possible and I wasn't ready to accept that. So I unfollowed and avoided. I judged and signed and criticized, showing up in my truth and power, honestly sharing my journey from brokenness to healing, exposing my frailties. It requires a lot of me. I think I said one wrong word in there because that did not make sense. Um, but overall, it was, I love this. I love this. I want to talk about this because this is so, so true. And people, I watch people get so mad at other people. They're like, oh, well, they're just this and they're just that. It's like, it's because you want to be them. Like, but you don't see that that's what's happening. So let's talk about well, it. You, yes. You, you know, and it's interesting because I want to just point out the, one of the places I see this the most frequently, which is why I'm, I'm developing a workshop on this specifically, which is how patriarchy harms mother-daughter relationships. Ooh. Because this is one of the places that we see it the most, which is oh we see this throughout the generations. A daughter claims more liberation than her mother could. Yeah. And very often, because her mother is still trapped in that box, Instead of supporting and, um, you know, being excited for the daughter's freedom, it actually triggers the mom. Yeah. Like, what, what are you doing? Right? And it does this for two reasons. It does this both because of what you just read from my Instagram, right? That the mom is like, it, it pushes her story because her story is I'm stuck. I have to do this. I have to be the martyr mother, yes, right? Yes. And then her daughter shows up free and clear and, and, and is, is, is pushing up against that. And for most moms, and I get barring like severe mental illness, there's another piece, which is the mom is trying to keep the daughter safe by keeping her in the box. Mm. Oh, that's If you huge. go out of this box, right? It, 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 and again, compassion. It's so easy to push back and be like, man, my mom, she just doesn't want me to have that, right? It's so easy to do that. But if we can pull back a little bit and have compassion, I, I, I focus so much on honoring rage. And there's a lot of reasons why. But one big reason is we honor our rage in our individual experiences. So for example, if we feel rage, if you're a daughter who feels rage against her mother for pushing back against her choices, just as an example, Honor that rage, work through it, have compassion, do all the things, but you don't need to release that rage. You know why? Because you can funnel that rage into dismantling the systems that created these situations in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. And so the rage that you experience maybe for your mom with time and with healing and compassion and witnessing that rage can be funneled into dismantling these bullshit ass systems that make motherhood so much more difficult and unrewarding. Yeah. Yes. All of the yeses. <laughs> oh, so, so that's good. the, that's, that's the first thing like that or the many things I know I say, I'm going to say one thing and then I say like, well, 10. listen, anyway. <laughs> that, welcome to my brain. I get it. Like the listeners should be well used to this by now. Cause this is where I'm like, <laughs> we're going to start here. No, we're going to end up in left field. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Yes. So there's, there's just, there's so much there. And so here's the thing too. What was modeled for us, right? When 
for many of us, when we saw people exiting the box, not only were people triggered by them exiting the box that they were still in, but we were kids witnessing the box. And then we witnessed those people being shamed, criticized, right? Yes. All of those things. And so that reinforces even more. Stay in the box. Stay in the box. Do what everybody else wants you to do. This is how you maintain love, connection, and belonging. Right? Yeah. And we all do those things for a reason because we want we want to hold on to those things. Yes. But no feeling can replace the feeling of belonging to yourself. Oh, can you say that again, like louder for those in the back? <laughs> no feeling can replace that feeling of belonging to yourself. None. So much. So, oh God, I just want to like, literally, we can't because people are listening, but I just want to like sit in silence for 10 minutes and be like, yes. But it's because I felt it. I feel it. And I know it so deeply that it's just powerful. Like, it's not just words. Like I'm like hundred percent. That is so, it's so much truth. It's, it's, it's unwinding. That's the word I would use. Like, it's like we wound ourselves up so tight, right? And we're in this, this boxer for me, it felt like a straight jacket that I was screaming, but like still staying in because it's safe and you can't get out and, you know, heaven and like family and all this stuff. But God, like the contentment and the peace And the way that my body just slowly over like three years unwound is something I would have paid any amount of money for. Right? Yeah. It is. It's priceless. It's literally priceless. You know, and and so much of healing, we think healing is about becoming, but the truth is, honestly, at its core, Healing is about unbecoming. Mm, shedding all of the shit. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, when I think about, so even on this podcast, right, you you hear me, I show up and I speak my truth. I say whatever the fuck I want to say. Mm-hmm. That is who I am. Yeah. That is who I tried to be when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't allowed. Right. Right? Yes. All of these systems were like, uh-uh, no. And the people who loved me dearly wanted to keep me safe. Right. And they told me, you show up like this, you talk about this stuff, you, you're you this open and direct and get worked up about this stuff. The world is not safe for you. Right. And, right? And I had experiences that confirmed that. Yeah. And specifically, I just, in case people have forgotten your background, because we've talked about your past, we're specifically talking about you being an Indian girl, right? Like trying to move through a white world. So this ties into racism and, and colonization and all of the things that you're working to unwind that, yeah, you were taught that maybe, and I'm going to step out to what I think I remember you saying. So you're going to correct me. I know you will, if it's not correct, but like that was safe for a white male to be, and maybe even a white female, mm-hmm. but not for you. So your parents were like, no, 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 like in the box. Cause we want you to survive. Oh, absolutely. And you know, no, I love that you said that because I went to uh, an event a, a, f- a few weeks ago and we were talking about trauma responses and a white male actually got up. We were, the question was asked uh, like a journal kind of reflection question. What is the trauma response you go to fight, flight, fawn, or freeze? Right. And this white male um, spoke and, and he had a lot of good things to say. And he talked about how his go-to response was fight. His go-to response as a kid was fight, as an adult was fight. That's where he goes to when he's like in trauma response. 
And as he was talking, I had this big aha and I realized something. My go-to trauma response for a lot of my life was fight, but that wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. I'm a girl. I'm, I'm an Indian girl. I'm a dark-skinned Indian girl. Like me being in fight, me be responding to my like traumas and the things around me with fight was shamed and criticized and suppressed in so many ways. And so I changed to fawn. I changed to people pleasing because that was safer. Wow. I, I couldn't get angry like the way a male could, right. the way a white male could, right? right. Like his right. responses were his responses. And while I'm sure he experienced shame and, and different experiences, yeah. I'm not discounting that he had, you know, pushback. But as a as a person with my particular identities, rage, fight, like that's not allowed. Right. So I, I had this huge realization, like I was traumatized about my traumatization. Like, you know what I mean? Like my trauma responses were also not okay. Right. 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 And I say trauma responses for a reason. Here's why I say trauma responses. Because racism is trauma. Mm -hmm. Misogyny is trauma. Mm -hmm. Anti-blackness is trauma. Homophobia or queerphobia, it's trauma. Yeah. So trauma isn't just about these singular experiences that we have. There is a collective trauma that we experience based on our identities. And this is something really important. That trauma fucks everyone up. So anti-blackness doesn't just fuck up people who, who, for whom blackness is part of their identity. It's messing all of us up. Mm-hmm. Our communities are not what they need to be because of this. Right. Right. And so that's, this is, and this points to the core of why I do what I do. I want people to heal deeply because society needs to heal deeply. Yeah. Yeah. We cannot heal oppression in society if we are internally oppressing ourselves. And that is what shame is. It is internalized oppression. Oh, can you repeat that again for everyone? Because it was perfect. I know exactly. That's what I think when people ask me to repeat. I'm like, no. Uh, oh, shit. What it, it was when you, damn it. Shame is internalized oppression. When you, you cannot oppress yourself internally and fight oppression externally. Thank you. That shit doesn't work. Yes. Yes. And this, the funny thing is, is that I don't think anybody can actually understand why that won't work until you free yourself from your own oppression. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. I can see. I see. Wow. No, that was perfect. Thank you. Mm, I feel like I'm like in a, in a, <laughs> what's that called? The people who are like, yes. Yes, girl. Like there's like you see like have the crowd like come in. Revival. Like, yes, I'm like, that's what I, I'm just like, yes, say it again. All right. Um oh god, I just I could talk to you forever. Like I just looked at how long we've been talking and I'm like, what? How? Okay. Um so I want to read really quick because I think that this is important. So we've been talking for an hour and a half about, you know, being kind to, oh, sorry. Yes. Kindness. I was like, did I use the wrong word again? Using kind to yourself, being kind to yourself, compassion, you know, setting down shame. Um, a lot of hopeful thoughts, right. Of like how wonderful it is on the other side. 
So I'm going to read this quote about um, when you commit yourself to love, the universe will always test your commitment because I think it's important to prepare people. So uh, this is, again, verbatim, not my words. This is Letha. Um, When you commit yourself to love, the universe will always test your commitment. Sometimes the test feels good, satisfying, but sometimes they feel like you're heartbreaking or your ego shattering. Sometimes they feel like that dream, that one that feels like a normal everyday kind of day, but you look down and you're naked or the one where you open your mouth and your teeth start falling out. By the way, that's never happened to me. We need to talk about your dreams. Um, whatever the test, <laughs> whatever the test feels like, you will learn more about yourself and your commitment as your ego dies and your heart and soul expands. Sometimes the process of refinement really fucking hurts. And if you're like me, you might shed a lot of tears during the process. You might weep and weep and struggle to find your joy. I did. But despite it all, I can still access joy. I can still access peace. I'm still the universe within and without. And so are you. Let it hold you. So let's talk about the reality of this for people, because I think that in this society of um, not only wanting to be comfortable, right, but also immediate gratification that is so prevalent in how we shop, how we consume media, um, all of the things. This process of becoming you, of finding you, of tapping into your intuition, your sovereignty, of of learning to be compassionate to the beautiful, amazing, phenomenal fucking soul that you are, is not as beautiful as it sounds at face value for a while <laughs> or in spurts. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to have their expectations set so that they can sit in the mud and be like, that's all right. I knew the mud was going to be on the path because Letha told me there was going to be mud and here's the mud. I was going to be okay. And then I'm going to keep going up this mountain. So really like just talk to us about the realities of that and how to get through that and anything you want to share around that particular topic. You know, it's really incredible. Just hearing my own words coming out of your mouth just kind of floored me Um, because it just, it's so real and so raw still for me, you know, I am still and continually unbecoming, right? Deconditioning, all of these things. And so one thing that really stuck out to me was this, there comes a point, and I know this point can feel really far away when you're, depending on where you are, I know it felt really far away for me for a long time, but there comes a point where you recognize that the mud is beautiful too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. There comes a point where you're sitting in the mud and instead of it being like, this is disgusting and dirty and gross and I can't wait to take a fucking shower. You're like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I feel soothing. <laughs> I don't want to be here too long. <laughs> but like, right. And, and, and it's the gathering evidence piece. Meaning oh, yes. when you have been on the journey and you know, because now you have this repetitive experience where you know you're going to get caught up in some mud, but you won't stay there. Because I think that one of the most paralyzing fears, at least for me, a big part of my healing journey, whenever I would have those dark night of the soul phases or, you know, whatever, or this like feeling devastated, feeling heartbroken, feeling, you know, whatever, having those experiences that I described, I would feel this overwhelming feeling that I was stuck there, Mm -hmm. that I would, it would just stay like that. It wouldn't change. I would stay stuck in this awful place. And I I realize now that the reason I felt that way, and this is what I share with clients, 
I felt that way because for so long I was so disconnected from myself that I, I did just stay there. Mm. I would just, I, I was a person who continually put myself in harm's way. Uh huh. Uh huh. So of course I didn't trust myself to get out of it. Because uh-huh. it felt so familiar, like here I am in the mud again. Yes. You know, yes. but I had voluntarily put myself there so many times. That's different from the universe. Yeah. I mean, it's all the universe, but do you know what I'm saying? I do. So do you see the distinction? I do. And I totally, I like have an example that I want to share, but I don't want to like derail you in the middle. So I can. No, go ahead. Share your example. Um, I'd love to hear it. So this is, at least in my head, this is matching. Let's hope I don't get to the end and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so <laughs> not that that's ever happened. Well, you know me by now. I'll tell you that shit. <laughs> I know, which I love because that's how I am. See, so when I'm like, cool, let's do it. That's it. I feel so much more safe actually when people, yeah, just communicate. Cause I'm like, I know, I know where we're at. We're good. Um, so again, listeners, I promise this is going to connect. Just bear with me. So I had, um, I had postpartum depression severely, uh, for 10 years after I had my children and whole long story, I was vitamin deficient. There's a gene mutation, blah, 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 blah. When I finally figured out what I needed and I started taking, um, this mentholated B vitamin supplement, there was a day where it was like someone reached in my head and flipped a light switch. And the best way that I can describe it is that the world went from black and white to color in an instant. Um, all of a sudden I could feel happiness again. I could feel joy again. I laughed and giggled for like three days solid because I hadn't been able to do that for so long. But then after that initial, just like euphoria of that, it had been 10 years. I had literally completely forgotten what a normal human emotional ex- like expression was. I didn't remember what it was like to kind of fluctuate and go up and down. And so when I would get sad, when I would get mad, if I would get anxious, it would trigger a full blown like panic attack because what it was is I was like, I can't go back there. I can't go back there. I can, oh my God, I can never do that again. Like I can, I will not survive it if I go back to that again. And I just had to realize like, no, this is life. Okay. We, We go up, we go down and it is okay because I am okay. We are not going back there. And I, sorry, I'm getting emotional just remembering that. But like, I feel like it's very similar is that uh, it's a different path and we're, we're walking it on purpose. Right. But mud is normal and you are not going to stay there forever and you don't have to, and you're going to get up. Well, and, and there's two things I want to say to that. One is don't ever apologize for your emotions in front of me. Mm. Okay. Cause that is not something you ever have to <laughs> apologize for. I don't, I, I, but but I get it. I was sorry for my emotions for a really long time. And that's why I specifically say it. Yeah. Right. Thank you. I I had a big fear of being too much for people and I am too much for some people. And that's, those are not my people. Okay. I know that's what I'm like. Not my people. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. But here's the thing, you know, that feeling like, okay, this is what I'll describe it as. So my homeland, my ancestral homeland in Kerala is close to the equator, super humid, super hot. There's a feeling that comes when I, like, I remember this one day when I was in India a couple of years ago and it, I was hot and sweaty and we'd been walking around and I had just layers of just, ugh, right? Yeah. Walking around the city, it was dusty, we'd been shopping. And that night I came home and I could not 
wait to shower. Yes. And then the, the ride home was delayed. And it was like an extra hour and a half. So when I finally got home and my, my parents, my family's place, they, we have fresh well water. And so I took a bath, a bucket bath with fresh well water. And it was this cool, refreshing. If you've never done it before, it's just this incredible experience. And I washed away all the uck and the muck and the whatever. And it was seriously like a heavenly experience. Like I, I this just the experience, right? It felt so refreshing and so cooling and so and like laying on the on the clean sheets like afterwards in this, you know, beautiful evening felt so good. And it never would have felt that fucking good mm -hmm. if I hadn't been so sweaty and gross and delayed and ugh and muck and yes. all the stuff, right? Yeah. And so that contrast is so needed. Yeah. Right? And it, again, this is what it is to be human. Mm. Yeah. You know, the messy and the gross and the ugh and the whatever, but like we would never know, right? How refreshing it can feel. But like you described, when you've been in that ugh for 10 years, right? When you revisit it again, it feels like, oh my goodness, am I never going to shower? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, am I never going to be, feel clean and refreshed and relaxed again? Yeah. You know? Yes. But we, we need those experiences. Yeah. We really do. And to learn to embrace the experience, right? Makes life so much more easeful. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I, okay, I'll be interested to see what you think about this. Um, so this is something that I learned and it's made the mud easier for me. Um, and I feel like I get out of the mud faster most of the time. <laughs> Not that fast is always mm -hmm. better, but sometimes we don't need to suffer unnecessarily. Um, I had a counselor who was so beneficial, but she um, was explaining, she's like, anything that you fight gets bigger. Like if you, if you fight your emotions, if you fight your realizations, right, it gets bigger. She's like, you've got to just let it come and it will be smaller. Like I promise. And I was like, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like literally I was like, I was like, she's she's insane. Like this makes no sense. And I remember I was in the bathtub. This was before I had useful, helpful bathtubs. Um, I was just in the tub and I was just felt like the panic and the stress, what it felt like at that time is probably like five years ago. I don't know. Um, it felt like a train coming down the tracks at full speed. And I was trying to just like hold it back with my force of will. And it was so strong for the first time in my life, I was like, I can't hold this back anymore. And I remembered mm -hmm. what she'd said. And I was like, this isn't going to work, but fine. Like, I'm so tired. I can't do this anymore. Like, let it come. And I relaxed and this train came straight at me. And then it just went through me and it dissipated immediately. Like the problems were still there. Like, don't get me wrong, but I could handle it now. Right. Like once I let yeah. it come at me and I relaxed, I was like, fine, like, let's do it. Like, what do we got? everything lessened in severity and I was able to start sorting things out. And so I do approach the mud in this way. Like I wait till I'm ready. I don't force myself. Right. And sometimes it takes me a few days where I'm like, I don't want to, I don't fucking want mm -hmm. to. And then when I'm ready, mm -hmm. I can feel there's a slight shift and I will then be able to be like, all right, let's do this. Like, let's settle in. What do we got? What do we got? Show me the mud. <laughs> like, what do we got? And it just, it makes it so much easier. And sometimes it still takes two weeks to get out of the mud, right? But sometimes all I have to do is let it come. And it's, and it will resolve itself pretty rapidly. 
Oh, absolutely. I think too, along with that, you don't realize, like not only let it come, but when you let it come, you realize how much energy you are using oh, trying yes. to hold it off. Oh my God, yes. Right? So so, so I, I heard this comparison once and I kind of uh, expanded it, but this idea that you're in a pool, right? And your emotions, your heavy, big emotions or whatever are like a big red beach ball. And you are in a pool and you are shoving that red beach ball under the water and you're treading water and you're pushing it under and you're doing everything you can so nobody sees your fucking big ass red beach ball. Right, right. You're doing everything you can. You're shoving it under the surface and you're exhausted. Your muscles are aching. You're so exhausted and you're looking around you're like, nobody can see this red ball. But here's the thing. Everybody can fucking see it. The water is see-through. I mean, first of all, okay, so like what you're doing isn't even working. Like you think it's, you know what I mean, working. You're expending all this energy, right? But what if, what if you just let the red beach ball come to the surface and you hug it and you hold it and you sit with it and you look at it and you get curious and you witness it with compassion and you love up on yourself and you hold the red beach ball. And when you're ready, you toss it aside. Yeah. Right? Yes. That energetically requires so much less. And yet it's just, it's so much more loving and tender and effective. And because I am a person who values efficiency, it's so much more efficient. So I am the same way. I'm like, guys, it's faster. Like it's efficient. (laughs) It's faster. Like stop fighting it. Oh. It works better. But I get it. I get why. Especially like, you know, I have a lot of ways that I move through my red beach ball phases, yeah. right? I journal and I I scream and I cry and I dance and I run and I walk and I move and I I mean there's so many things that I do. And I I talk to friends when yeah. when it warrants that, right? I have friends who are safe places for me where I can bring my red beach ball and be like, "Can you hold space for me?" Yes. I have this thing I need to work through, right? Yeah. And I cry and I rage and I scream, whatever it is, right? And they're safe for me. Yeah. And I can let the red beach ball go, but they witness me with tenderness and compassion and patience. Yeah. You know? Yes. And I invite so much more of that into my life because I give it to myself. Yes. I craved, I craved being seen and loved and cared for by other people all my life. I think everyone does, whether we admit it or not, it's a human need right? To be loved and cared for and all of those things. But it is incredible to me how when I started giving it to myself, how the floodgates just opened in terms of my ability to receive it from other people and to witness these other people who wanted to do that for me, who wanted to be that for me. Yeah. Yes. And it's so, listen, I, again, old me listening to what you just said, would have been like, okay, whatever, right? Like, so you're nice to yourself, sorry, kind to yourself. And then all of a sudden everyone just comes in, like whatever. But it's true. I've witnessed it in my own life. Like I started making making changes and finding myself valuable and like doing the work. And then, yeah, people just fucking showed up. And I like, it's- Well, and it's not magic. It's right. It's not magic. I mean, it is, it is and it isn't. Meaning I think the universe is magical and- I'm just incredibly in awe of, of spirit and how it works. Yes. But it's not magic in this other sense. If you don't have compassion for yourself, right? You are basically telling every cell in your body 
you're shaming your body. You're shaming every cell. You're telling yourself what you deserve, what you're worthy of, what your, your, um, your rate of normal is. Mm-hmm. And that's what your body's going to let in and receive because that's what's normal. That's what's mm-hmm. appropriate. Right. When you shift and you pour into yourself and you sell, send every cell in your body the message that I am worthy of so much goodness, your literal body becomes so much more receptive to goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I listen, I've experienced it. I believe it a hundred percent. Okay. I want to shine a light on something that you said, mainly because it's a slight soapbox of mine. So I'm being a little selfish here, but I think it's so important for people. So you've used the word several times gathering evidence. And every time you say it, I get really excited inside. Um, and I want to I want to point out that this is something I think people need to do very intentionally, because this shifted my entire life way before I left the church and actually like started like waking up, quote unquote, or whatever terminology you want to use. I wouldn't I started noticing that things would happen in my life in patterns. So like if there was a thought process I needed to shift, let's say about, oh, like I had, okay, I had a firmly held belief system to my core that I annoyed every person I interacted with. You you could have talked so your blue in the face didn't matter. Like I would not believe you. I annoyed every person I interacted with. Oh God, even say that now feels so disgusting to say that in present tense. But I was, I was 100% convinced. And So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, people would unprompted start to say things to me that were against that narrative. Like they would be like, oh, yeah, the other day, like I was just so happy you were there and it was so nice having you there. And it was such a stark, you know, black to my white of my belief system that I couldn't help but noticing it. And it's and then it would happen again and again and again. And I realized like, oh, I need to catalog these. So I really have like a file box in my brain and I want everyone to put a file box in their brain (laughs) and I take this evidence that stands, you know, like this evidence based stuff. And I'm like, oh, what I'm thinking isn't true because there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. And then when I have those bad times where I would forget how to love myself, I had this whole goddamn file box in my head that I could pull up and be like, okay, well there, but there was this time and there was this thing and this thing happened. And, and it gave me some evidence base, like what you said, cause I'm highly intuitive. Also really like evidence. Um, I had this evidence-based file box in my brain that I could just access all of the time. But when you start to try to fill the file box, oh my God, there's stuff everywhere. And you can mm-hmm. just start stacking and it's amazing and it's life-changing. It shifts everything. And you just did it in like one, two little word, just gather evidence. And I was like, yeah, that. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> it, it really is such a helpful practice, especially, you know, I was saying like when you come from a place of like doubt, meaning like you're like, does this healing shit work anyway? Like, is it really worth it? Yeah. Right? Especially people like that. Because I'll get people sometimes who who are like, they want to do this and they reach out to me, but they're very skeptical. And I feel like I get people like that because I was the biggest skeptic. <laughs> yeah. I, I side-eyed the shit out of all of this healing stuff. Yes, yes. And I still do. And I still do in a lot of ways because I feel like in a lot of ways, a lot of healing stuff is white supremacy delusion repackaged 
perfection and capitalism and all of this stuff repackaged to be healing. That is a whole nother podcast. I realize. No, I'm like, oh my God, we didn't talk about that at all. Or we need to. Okay. But I will just say, I think that a lot of this stuff is bullshit. People like anybody, any guide or mentor or anybody who tells you that the answer is that you need to listen to them. That's bullshit. That's why I come from this place always of listen to you. Yes. Yes. Like if you diametrically oppose something I say, great. Yeah. Get curious about it. It doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong or, or vice versa. Yeah. Your intuition's talking to you. Connect to it. Yep. yep. I agree. If anyone ever says, and I will say this till I die. Yeah. If anyone ever is like, no, this is what I say and I'm right and you'll do it. Like warning, walk away. Walk away. Yeah. Because anyone who's actually in, this is my, okay, this isn't, I don't even think I can say this is my opinion because this is one of the very few things in this world that I will say I think there's a right or wrong on. And the, the box on that is very small for me. Um, anyone who is really doing this work properly should tell you, don't just do that because I said so. Go mm-hmm. and find it for yourself. Like, I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. And I'll help you the best that I can. But then you need to tap into you. And you need to see how does this resonate with you? How does this feel for you? Is this appropriate for you? Is this true for you? Like, this isn't about me. This is about you. 100%. Yeah. And I love that you do that. Mm, Beautiful. Okay. So we need to wrap this up. And I'm sad because again, we could, I could talk for another three hours. Um, so I want to tease everyone a little bit. So Leth and I have another interview scheduled um, and I purposefully did our interviews backwards because I wanted you guys to see the um, dichotomy of, of where she came from to this amazing, fantastic conversation that we've just had today. So we are going to talk about her story. We're going to talk about her being raised as a um, immigrant daughter in New York and um, abuse we're going to talk about um, an abusive marriage after converting to Mormonism. Uh, she is now a single mother of five children that she is raising and taking care of. And um, and then her, her changes from the wounded and the trauma um, into this much more healed state where she's able to help other people. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story because it's so important and it's just phenomenal. So please make sure that you listen because so we're going to drop yours uh hopefully actually tuesday um we had a couple things shift around so and then it'll be the next two weeks after that when the next episode drops will be the second half of her her origin story that sounds so dramatic um i I love that though because i I was a comic book nerd as a kid and origin stories are my favorite and you know who my my very favorite origin stories are are the bad guys. My favorite origin stories are Magneto and Killmonger. I love it. Like that's if you know me, you that says a lot about me. That says a lot about me. I'm just saying. So yes, my origin story. All right. Let this origin story coming next week. Um, I love it so much. Okay. I'm going to, what I'm going to do, I want to wrap this up by reading one last Instagram post of yours. And then I'm going to let you add in, um, any final thoughts, words of advice that you would have to someone who's just sat through this episode and or especially is interested in working with you 
um, so that we can talk about where to find you and, and all of those things. Okay. So again, I just want to be really clear. I'm quoting Letha now. This is not me. One of the really beautiful things that happens when we deeply connect to self, when we intentionally strengthen our relationship with ourselves, is that we also gain clarity around our other relationships. A frequent concern that I witness in clients is the fear of losing relationships, the dread of losing people as we heal. It's a legit fear. Our evolution will change the relationships we have. It will deepen the relationships meant for us. It will cause other relationships to change, progress, regress, or drop out of our lives completely. And it will create space for new aligned relationships and beautiful connections. And your commitment to you will carry through in ways you couldn't have imagined. Will you experience pain, loss, grief? Yes, absolutely. But you can't avoid these things anyway. They're part of the human experience. And you'll also get to experience the irreplaceable peace, calm, grounding, and anchoring that comes from ever deepening self-love and self-trust. Beautiful. Damn, I'm good. You are good. You are good. (laughs) (laughs) I, no, I, I really do. I've lived that. I believe that so wholeheartedly. It's, it's so much so it's perfect. And I think for me, you know, I had a lot of fear around losing relationships and I'm not going to say they weren't painful when I lost them because they were, and some were altered um, irrevocably. and, And that was also painful, but the, the ones that came in, Oh my God. Yeah, I wouldn't trade them for yes. anything. And they're so they're fulfilling in a in a beautiful way that I again I didn't know was possible. I didn't know relationships could function like this. I feel like I just so regularly experience soul to soul connections. Yes, you know, I and I and and in two different ways actually. I experience that with my inner circle. You know, like my core group of people that are like my, my people, right. My, my besties, the ones that I, that I, that hold space for me and I hold space for them. The ones that I think about on a daily basis, right. Like those people. But I also feel like because my intimacy with myself is so deep and so vast, I feel like it spills over and I'm able to have soul to soul connections with people in brief moments. Yeah. I'm able to have soul to soul connections with my clients, with people at workshops, with, with the people that I educate, with people that, you know, as, as cliche as it sounds on social media. Yeah. Right. I'm able to have these, these moments of just pure human intimacy. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful part of being human, of being me, you know, and it just, I value it so deeply and it all comes as an outcropping, outcropping or a growth or outgrowth of my connection to myself. And so in terms of, you know, what advice I would give to anybody who's listening to this, you know, I talk about this idea and I really do wholeheartedly believe this. There's only one relationship that we're guaranteed to have for life. Mm. It's the one with ourselves. Like I'm a mother and I love my children dearly. And also I had to realize like, even that relationship isn't guaranteed. You know, I'm a sister. I value that deeply. That relationship's not guaranteed. I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm all these things. Right. 
and in relationship to other people in in context with other people yeah right and as a woman i have often been labeled and identified only in terms of my connection and proximity to other people in particular men yeah. right yeah. yeah you know and so that piece recognizing that this is the only relationship i'm guaranteed to have for life so why the fuck am I not nurturing the shit out of it? Mm. You know, yes. like why I, I am a person who pours into my relationships. Like if you are my person, you are my person. Right. And I've done that a lot of my life, but it wasn't until I became my own person and poured into myself and, and committed. I am so committed to pouring into myself for the rest of my life. You know, yeah. I am so committed to that, like ever deepening love and compassion for myself. And so because of that, right, my relationship with myself being this powerful anchor means that I am able to cultivate this inner emotional climate that is even. I am a very emotional person. I am surprised that I have not cried on this episode, <laughs> if you know me, right? I, I am known to like be brought to tears when I'm teaching or, you know, yeah. working with a client, right? Yeah. I am a deeply, intensely emotional person. And those emotions can be experienced and move through me and not dictate my inner emotional climate, mm. right? Yes. Because I'm so anchored to myself that the storms of life don't impact me the way they once did. And I say that as a person who the storms of life de-fucking-railed me yeah. over and over and over again. I lived a life for decades of constant inner turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I live a life now. I mean, my life, I have a great life, but facts are facts. I am a single mom of five children in this country, in this community, in this society at this time of existence. Mm -hmm. I deal with particular um, hardships and obstacles, right? I have an amazing community. I have amazing people in my life, but I, I deal with some hard shit. Yeah. And yet my life is better than it has ever been. And it is number one because of this relationship that I have with myself and how I cultivate it and pour into myself, how I tenderly love and care for myself, which includes holding myself accountable for my shit. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for everything you've said. So many just perfect, profound little sound bites of brilliance. Thank you. Um, if people want to find you, if they want to work with you, cause I know you coach, you also do group classes. Um, you're also working on some new online stuff that you're developing. Where, where do they go to find you? So, um, if you're on Instagram, I'm at essentially awake. My courses are all hosted on teachable.essentiallyawake.com. So if you go to teachable.essentiallyawake.com, you'll see both my online courses and I do some in-person things. Um, I'm doing some live cohorts right now where we're uh, my course um, called from from burnt out to empowered AF, 
where we work through people pleasing and boundaries and all kinds of, you know, our harsh inner critic, all of these kinds of things that we've touched on. Um, we do that in community and it's really incredible. So if you're in Utah, we actually do it live. Um, we meet in person, but there's also a zoom option. So we do some really amazing things. So yeah, I love what I do. I love the opportunity to share this with people because it truly, it is profoundly transformative for me and, and what I've witnessed being, it's like the biggest honor of my life to witness other people's transformations. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how beautiful this conversation has been for me, how much I needed this today. Thank you. I hope I'm sure everyone, I don't even have to say help people. I'm sure have been listening to this and loving every second. So thank you so much for being here. And I am excited to talk to you again in a few days. I'm excited too. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more silent she was silent.